Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Welcome to Tuesday Techers. I know it's a cliche name. Uh, Investories podcast is all about adding value, all about adding those digestible bits of content and information. And we're super excited to bring you part two of this interview. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please reach out to us anytime you have any questions or just want to connect or say hi or say we're doing really well or hey, you could even say we're not doing well, but please don't do that. Uh, Investories podcast at gmail.com and investories pod on your socials and we look forward to hearing from you and uh, and in term in terms of taking that um that view like oh i'm gonna go arkansas right is there anything now anything kind of you you position as a metric or or something you you'd consider that in retrospect you would have ruled out other states but it was kind of stuff you didn't didn't know yet as in, I guess, kind of repeat the question a little bit. What, what do you mean? Give me, give me. Well, I guess I'm thinking about, for me, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm in a similar position to Trevor, which is where do I want to buy a big apartment building with opportunity to value add? And one of the things that puts me off Texas is how they manage taxes there. Yes, It's kind of a huge unknown quantity. Uh, a year ago, I may not have known that. I'd have been like, oh, Red, Red State's good. Right. I'll just go in there. And Texas is great and and that kind of stuff. I wondered if you kind of, maybe it's the other way and you ruled out some markets based on factors like that. Were, were there any other factors you kind of considered? Actually, yeah. Insurance is one of them. Uh, taxes is definitely one of the biggest ones just because they're they're all over the place. And the way that, that, that states assess taxes are different state to state. Insurance has been... It's been a hell of a ride here for the last couple of years. Arkansas, for example, has had like four major tornadoes, which has wiped out a lot of central Arkansas and northeast Arkansas, which I have a big portfolio in northeast Arkansas. And um, it it literally increased my insurance premiums on a year over year basis by 30 percent. 30% 30% is a huge, huge jump. And that would, yeah, that will definitely hurt your cash flow to a, a very high degree. And unfortunately, I have to pass that along to my tenants. And because if I don't, then I can't cover the bills and I can't provide them a nice place to live. And I mean, we we have class B assets and, you know, I, I won't get into the different types of classes, but our, our properties are pretty nice and I want to keep them that way. And so, um, you know, they, they were all built within the last 20 years, give or take. And if, if I'm getting chipped away on my income from ta- taxes and insurance going up, which they have in Arkansas, then there's no choice but to raise rates to my, to my tenants. And that's all part of the, the whole inflation thing with everything becoming more expensive. You know, unfortunately, that, that ends up trickling down because we have to be able to, to keep the asset. So I'd say to answer your question, John, uh, taxes and insurance are a really big one. Um, the crime rates are interesting. You know, we, we talk about you know, how do you identify the the right market? And a lot of people will jump straight to crime. And that's very important. There's something really important to keep in mind when you're looking at crime rates. Crime rates are not citywide. Crime rates can be right down to a neighborhood. And there are plenty of resources online, city data. um, I've drawn a blank on the rest of them, but all kinds of different places where you can look up crime rates. They'll actually pull up like a heat map where it talks about where the majority of these calls are generating. And you can stay out of that and still invest in that city and still cash flow and be very successful. 
Um, you don't want to buy in the ghetto. Class D or C minus properties, which are ghetto properties, you know, real low income type properties are practically falling down. They're, they're rough because usually the neighborhood's rough. So if you buy something thinking, hey, I'm going to buy this, this class C property and fix it up really super nice and cash flow a lot of money and then sell it and make a lot of money. Eh. Problem is the place next door is run down. The place behind it is run down. You know, yeah, we, we have done that. And it, it, it's just it's so difficult to try to change the, uh, the reputation of an entire neighborhood. So it's a lot better to find a bad property in a good neighborhood. And, uh, and you're going to be miles ahead by doing that. That makes absolute sense. How's it going to be worth as much as the one next door to it, really? So, well, I mean, just a quick story. So, we bought a twelve-unit apartment complex in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and we bought in Hot Springs because we were we were pretty new investors in out-of-state stuff. So, we were like, okay, well, it's a growing market. You know, it's it's got double-digit growth decade over decade for the last fifty years. You know, so people are moving here. People want to be here. It's a tourist place. A lot of people go there on vacation. you know, it's only got about 30,000 people in it, but the daily, during the summer, the daily population more than triples because everybody goes to these bathhouses and hot springs national park. So we're like, man, we can't miss, you know, it's going to be great. Yeah. It's got, it's got quite a bit of crime. You know, it's just, you know, it, it, when you compare it to the rest of the cities in Arkansas, it's kind of right in the middle. Um, but we were like, you know what, people are moving there for a reason. So let's do it. So we bought this 12 unit uh, complex and we, my wife flew out, walked through the property, said everything was pretty good. It was built in 2008. And, uh, she's like, okay, let's do it. Well, we closed. And the first, I think two weeks later we had our first shooting and we were like, oh shit, a shooting. Are you kidding me? You know, we never dealt with anything like a shooting before. And we started, you know, kind of talking to, uh, talking to the property manager and she was like, yeah, the shooting happened because the person who lives in the house next door didn't like the, the person who's on the other side of your property, uh, their dogs kept getting out. And so they ended up meeting in the parking lot of your apartment complex and had a shootout. And I'm like, holy crap, are you kidding me? Like they make movies about this kind of stuff, right? Um, so all that to say, we bought a crap or a nice property in a crappy area instead of a crappy property in a nice area. Uh, we were able to turn everything around. We got the riffraff out of the apartment complex and then things started to gentrify around it. And people appreciated us for that because we were that first shining star in the neighborhood that made everybody else want to fix up their property. So there is that. I would not say that that's something that happens on a regular basis ever since that was the only property that we really bought in the ghetto and uh, we don't regret it, but it was a really long road to stabilize it when we could have just skipped all of that. If we just bought a nicer, nicer neighborhood. Makes total sense. So that goes, that goes on to the, I guess the next piece, which is, um, drilling down into cities and areas the the tip is right buy a buy a crappy place in a nice neighborhood yeah yeah i especially because i mean okay we talked about or trevor you talked about the burr method Mm -hmm. and the burr method is is awesome and the the fact of the matter is is you can burr apartment complexes it's just a bigger house right so that's what we do and uh, it's just we we, you know we buy them we, we rehab them we refinance or we rent them we refinance them and we try to repeat and we've done that on three apartment complexes now, including this one. So it's, and it worked out wonderfully. We don't have any money in any of our apartment complexes right now. We refinanced everything out and have been shopping for, for more of this uh, all along. So um, there's all kinds of different things that you can do uh, to, to try to see if the, the city is in the neighborhood, to see if the neighborhood's good. Um, one, one thing I would recommend. So if you're, if you're trying to stay out of these crime ridden areas, 
let's say we're looking in Little Rock, Arkansas, and you find an apartment complex, you're over here in Oregon, you know, you don't know any better if this place is a good place to invest or not in this neighborhood, figure out what's close. You know, sometimes these apartment complexes will be close to some kind of commercial building, whether it's a market, a bank, um, a grocery store or something like that. Call that place, call them and say, okay, hey, and be honest with them. You know, you're not trying to be um, you know, shady about any of this stuff. Just say, okay, hey, Mr. Banker, um, my name is Trevor and I'm a real estate investor and I'm looking at buying a place that's just down the road and it's about one block away from you, but I don't know the area. I'm from out of state. I'm hoping that you can give me some kind of an idea of what this neighborhood is like. Is there a lot of foot traffic? Do you see cops arresting people out on the, out on the sidewalk on a regular basis? And that person doesn't give a crap. You know, they'll be completely honest with you. Yeah. They'll be like, okay, yeah, this place sucks. I don't go outside. I, you know, we have to walk in pairs out to our cars whenever our shift ends. You know, they'll they'll be honest with you about that kind of stuff, and it's a it's a really good way to be able to underwrite that neighborhood, not just the market. That's a good call. I mean, I'm a frequent listener to uh, Bigger Pockets. I'm a big fan, and one of the big key terms I took to heart was uh, one of the main investors on there said he'd only buy property within two miles of any Starbucks. And that kind of, That's an that interesting kind of plays thought. into the fact of what you just said. It's like, what's the surrounding area like? And Starbucks has an algorithm right. to where they build new places based on foot traffic, crime rate, and average income. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a really good thought. The average income thing is an important one as well. And <clears throat> excuse me, it really does come down to what kind of asset it is that you want to invest in. Um, if you look at average income in Arkansas, it's going to be between twenty-five to forty thousand dollars. So it's pretty, it's pretty low from you know, say West Coast standards, where the average income is fifty to seventy thousand dollars. It's like half, yeah. you know. So you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be super low. Um, but it, it also depends. If you're looking for Class C properties, these are going to be working class properties. Mm -hmm. So, or working class tenants, I mean, so these are going to be the people that work at the grocery stores that work at the gas stations, you know, that unless you're looking for a class A or a class B property, then these are the managers of all of those places. Yeah. Right. And they're going to be able to pay a lot more. So again, it's a lot of the, a lot of times, and I'm not, I'm not knocking on bigger pockets by any means, cause I'm a listener as well, but they, they won't drill down into the specifics of these things. They just blanket these things like, okay, well, Arkansas as a whole has an average income of five or $50,000 a year. So you're not going to get more than $600 a month rent. Well, it's just, it's just not, the, it's not the case. When you look at a market, you really have to be able to drill down to a specific neighborhood based on a property that you're looking at. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Carl, can you talk us through that process on how to drill down and maybe the tools you use to, to kind of get the data? Yeah. So um, I'll give you, I'll give you one tool and, and it's one of my favorite tools and I use it regularly. If, if you're shopping a new market and you don't have your eye on anything. Um, there is a, a report they're not paying me to say this, um, but it's the Milken Institute report. I've talked about it on here before. M I L K E N Milken Institute report. And they usually, I think they may have just released one either in April or May or April or yeah, maybe March or April of this year, but they release them every year. And this is the, the emerging markets report. <clears throat> Excuse me. They, uh, they drill everything down from, um, employment opportunities to income, and they, they will rank the top 300 cities in the United States. And I, I look for my properties on there, my, my, my markets on there to see whether or not, 
you know, I'm, am I investing in the right thing? Am I looking at the right metrics? And I kind of compare what I've done. But on the flip side, for somebody who hasn't invested yet, mm-hmm. it's a pretty good starting point. Okay. And you'll see on there, you know, Wichita, Kansas is one um, that a lot of people aren't looking at. But Wichita, Kansas is already a big city. And it has been in the dumps, kind of like Detroit for decades. And all of a sudden, in the last 10 years, they've been, you know, the city has been investing in their infrastructure and starting to bring in more businesses. And now the downtown core is struggling to be able to house all of these people, which is driving up prices and bringing in more investors. All of a sudden, bam, they showed up on the Milken Institute report as an emerging market. So uh, that's a really good uh, resource to, to look just to get a start. Okay. Um, let's say that we let's let's keep on the Wichita bandwagon here. So uh, if I want to invest in Wichita, I like to look at historical numbers. It doesn't help you for future stuff. So don't rely on this entirely. But it's, it's a really good data point to know. Um, I want to know what it's been like as far as growth is concerned. So there's a lot of really easy Google searches that you can do to, to find these types of data points. One of them that I use is just uh, Wikipedia because they draw from the U.S. Census Bureau. So you can go Wikipedia, uh, Wichita, Kansas, and scroll down and it says demographics. Click on that demographics tab and it'll bring up a table and the table will say population in 1870, in 1880, 1890. And it'll come all the way up to present day and it'll it'll show you percentage wise how much the population in these places have been growing, which is, it's like I said, a good data point to know. Um, but it, it doesn't help you to know the future. You, you, you've really got to look at what this place is wanting to do in the future, like what types of industries are coming, what type of industries have left. Um, I, I really kind of struggle to go up to, you know, the north, like the Dakotas, Wyoming, those areas, because those ones are specific to a certain commodity, specifically oil. Yeah. Um, those markets can look really good on paper. Like, uh, I think I looked at Gillette, Wyoming one time, we actually wrote an offer on a quadplex there and, um, and it was full whenever we wrote the offer. And by the time we got done with our inspections, three out of the four people had moved out. And I'm like, what the heck happened here? Why is everybody moving out of here? They're like, oh, they just closed down the the mine or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and and so essentially what ended up happening is everybody moved away. So that when, when you have an, a, a local economy that is dependent on one thing like coal or, or oil, um, that's, that's asking for trouble because you're at the mercy of the market at that point, just that one tiny piece of the market. Sorry, that was kind of a side tangent, but um, yeah. So looking at all the different data pieces are, are super important. You know, the, the crime, the, the neighborhoods um, talking to the, the, the local, you know, businesses. And do you, do you have a formula? Do you pump it into a spreadsheet or is it just kind of Kyle's algorithm? For, for finding markets? No, I don't, I don't. It's mostly just, it's mostly just those things that I've, that I've learned over the years for how to find these things. Um, call the police departments too. They're, they're more than happy to talk to you about this kind of stuff. You know, they, they're like, Oh, boy, you better clear your schedule. I'm going to tell you all about, you know, Campbell street over here. And uh, they're a really good resource to have. Uh, property managers are an even better one because interesting mm-hmm. thing about property managers is they will be so honest with you because they don't want to manage shitty properties. Uh, it's, it's just a headache for them. You know, everybody, I think they've almost garnered this reputation that they, they will do anything they can to get to sign up more properties so they can make more money on a monthly basis. But these are the people that are in the trenches with your tenants. Mm-hmm. 
trying to deal with all the repairs, the eviction stuff. They don't want to manage these crappy places. So they'll, they'll be like, Oh God, please don't buy this place. Cause I don't want, I had that. I had that very situation. Yeah. I was, I, I went and spoke to a property manager. I got a property lined up for seller financing. It wasn't worth very much. Um, and that was, so I was on the fence. I spoke to the property manager and they're like, yeah, we don't go west of whatever yeah. 8th Street or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Nobody drives through <laughs> there after dark. He's like, yeah. He said, I could probably find you someone would would manage it, but we wouldn't manage it. I'm like, okay, good good yeah. to know. And those are good people. <laughs> when when you get when you find somebody that's that honest, I would definitely keep that person in the front of your mind for when you do find something. And because uh, I have ran across property managers who've been like, oh, it's great. It's it's getting better. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't give a crap if it's getting better. If it's bad now, that means I'm the one that has to fix it. And I don't want to do that. And they don't want to do that. So find the honest property managers, the ones that are, that are really trying to make a difference in your business. Cause that is the most important person on your team. hundred percent. Property management. And you know, I guess if we can keep on the property management piece, this is something I can get on a soapbox about, but I won't right now. When it comes to property management, people in this industry, real estate investors are constantly wanting to knock down people's prices. Like they'll come out and they'll say, all right, this is going to be, you know, this 10 unit apartment complex is going to be 10% for me to manage it. I would definitely ask why. And the things that I would negotiate out of that type of a contract would be like leasing fees. Um, I'm going to keep half of your pet rent. You know, there's a lot of things that they'll put in their contracts that you got to be careful of because they will nickel and dime you. But when it comes to the monthly excuse me, the monthly rent or the monthly fee for managing your properties. If you negotiate, if you try to negotiate down to six, 7% on an apartment complex, which a lot of people try to do, you're going to negotiate yourself into a lesser service. Sure. If they're not making as much money on your place and, and they, they feel like you're, you know, you're looking at them as just another data point on your spreadsheet, they're not, you're going to be one of the last people who has their properties filled. And I hate to say it that way, but it is reality. Um, it, make sure you take care of the most important person on your team, that property manager, and, and they need to make money too. You know, they're literally the ones running your property for you while you're far away. You want them to be happy. So. Absolutely. Makes sense. I think that kind of, All right. What else you got? Like that leads into my other question is how to choose the correct one. And I think you definitely hit the nail on the head with that is the one. He's going to be the most brutally honest with you. Yeah, I've got, uh, I can run through this stuff. Let me see if I can open it on my computer while we're sitting here talking. Um, I've got, I've put, I've been putting this together for like, gosh, I would say 10 years now, which is, it's just a big, long list of questions to ask property managers whenever you're trying to find one. You mind if I share it with you? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, you don't have to take notes because this is being recorded, but uh, you can, if you, if you go <laughs> back and, and listen to this over again, then um, these are, these are things that I've found when I talk to a property manager that are super important to ask, okay. because if you don't, you're going to be surprised later or really upset. Uh, these things need to be clarified from the beginning before you sign on that dotted line with them for your property management agreement. Uh, one of the most important thing, I guess, number one, uh, the most important things for me is, do you have an owner or slash tenant online portal? I want to be able to log on and see what my, how my properties are doing without wondering, you know, I don't, I don't typically do it except once a month when I do my own uh, spreadsheets mm -hmm. here in the office, but um, I want to know how my properties are doing. I don't want to have to make an appointment and wait for a phone call all day long. And then, you know what I mean? So I want to know that I have an online portal where I can see how my, how my properties are doing. I can access all of my old owner statements too, especially if I'm trying to get a new loan. 
they're going to ask for things like P&Ls or a T12, a trailing 12 months of expenses. Um, my bookkeeper keeps all that stuff, but it, she builds that off of all my owner statements. So that's number one. Um, I want to know how they handle repairs and do they submit them through the portal? Like the tenant, for example, does the tenant log on and say, you know, type into their little thing and say, I need to fix, I need this to be fixed because then I can look and see if things are getting fixed in a timely manner. It's, it's really difficult to manage your manager when you don't have any oversight as to how they're running the business. Yeah, you're just being the sense? dark all the time, so in the dark all the time. And we've played that game. It sucks. Especially when you get a phone call at six o'clock in the evening and they're like, yeah, we just finished replacing that $5,000 HVAC. And you're like, excuse me, what $5,000 HVAC? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it what? does happen. So um, I want to know how long it takes or how, how far uh, in between property inspections. So your, your property manager should be doing a walkthrough at least every six months. Uh, mine do them quarterly. This stops things like finding hoarders, people that are really dirty, moving people in there that are just, you know, a lot of nine and a half out of 10 times, the issue with bugs comes from from dirty tenants. And we've got that in our lease that they're going to keep a nice and tidy place so that it doesn't create a bigger issue down the road. Um, and if they become the issue, then they become the one that pays for the issue. So that's, that, that kind of goes into the lease part of this. But um, I want to know how big this company is. You know, if I'm going to bring them 60 units in an apartment complex, how many, what kind of experience do you actually have in managing this size of an asset? Oh, well, I've got uh, seven single family homes and a duplex that I manage right now. Okay. Well, you know, I'm, uh, yeah, I don't know if you have the infrastructure and the, the personnel to be able to handle all these oh, things. So that's a really important question to ask. How long do you, do you have, uh, how long do you take to get a, a make rent ready? done, which is when somebody moves out to get the property ready for the next tenant. That's, that's the next question you need to ask that person. Cause if they're like, Oh, we can get it done in a week. Sounds great. If they say, Oh, it's usually about 30 days. That's a problem because that's, that's, that means not only do you have cleaning fees, but now you just lost a month's rent. Yeah. So um, let's see, I'll, I'll try to just hit the super important ones here. Do you have on, on staff contractors and maintenance? That's another big piece that you want to ask well, I guess them. In-house um, or out-of-house repair. In-house or out-of-house. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's an important piece because that'll help you realize just how quickly they can get to things. Um, and that's that's subjective. Even if they have them on staff, doesn't mean they're going to get to it right away, but sometimes it helps. Yeah. How do you advertise? I have run into this a hundred different times, especially when things are slow, which they haven't been in the last two years. We've been spoiled. Um, you know, our vacancy or our occupancy rates have been 95 to 100% for the last two years, which is pretty much the story across the country. But uh, when it slows down, I want to know how it is that they're finding more tenants. If they're just throwing them up on apartments.com and just hope, keeping their fingers crossed, that's not good enough. I want to know that they're actually out there beating the brush, trying to drum up some business for me. Um, application fees is a really big one. Some of these some of these places will charge like $70 for an application. For somebody who only makes you know $2,000 a month, that's a lot of money. Absolutely. And that will actually prevent them from even being able to look at the property, even if they, even if they qualify for the monthly rent. So, you know, I, I want a realistic number because I don't want my manager trying to make a whole bunch of money off of tenants just trying to look at the property. So we've run into that issue before where I've, I've had to tell them, look, you need to lower your fees because nobody's looking at this property because you're making them fill out this application first. Yeah. 
And it, it forces prioritization, right, of potential tenants. Yes, it absolutely. So you might miss out on good tenants because, hey, they've applied to two places. They can't afford to apply for, to a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and most mm-hmm. tenants are looking at more than one place. That gets really super expensive. And I, I found a really great manager who will have them fill out, you know, one application and then they can show them anything in the area. So that, that's, that has helped a lot because they, they show them all any, any vacant properties I have, we've, we've got that covered. So. Um, how often do we get statements? You need at least a monthly owner statement. You need to know how these things are performing. Otherwise, you don't know if you're in the green or the red. Um, you want to talk about utilities. Do they put them in their name? Or is this something you have to put in your own name and then they just facilitate the payments? You know, How does that kind of thing work? Uh, how do evictions work? Is that cost passed along to me? You know, And it's going to be different state by state, but uh, most of the time it's going to be passed along to the landlord for all those fees. What is the average eviction cost? Oh man, that's so, so that, that's, that's a really difficult question to, to answer. Most I've done very few. And the reason why is because most of the time you can get them out. So, uh, you know, focusing on Arkansas again, mm-hmm. the Arkansas is a three day eviction notice. Wow. So if they don't pay, so rent for us is due by the sixth, it's late by the 10th. And if we don't get it by, I think it's the 15th, they get a three day eviction notice. Now that doesn't mean that they have to move out in three days. It, it's, it's kind of a misnomer. The, the way that that's worded is it's a three day eviction notice is more of a threat than anything. If they refuse to move, we have to go to, we have to go to court and it typically takes about 30 days in order to do that as opposed to the 90 days over here where yeah. we live. Right. It's, so it's, it's much quicker, but most of the time they leave. I've had very, very, I think, you know, I've got over 70 units in Arkansas and I think I've had two times in the last six years where I've actually had it take longer than 30 days oh, wow, that's really good. and the cost. Yeah. And the, the cost is pretty affordable. You know, it's, it's, it's under a thousand bucks most of the time. Um, oftentimes it's nothing because you can go up to the tenant and be like, look, I'll give you your deposit back. Just get out of my unit. And they'll be like, Oh, great. Sounds great. And they're gone. You know, it's that fast. It's it's kind of a cash for keys type of a thing. Are you familiar with cash for keys? I'm not, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it, when you think about the cost of evictions, you know, they, cause thousand bucks is not unheard of. And even more than that, if you've got attorney fees and stuff like that, it can go up significantly if they're just squatting. If you just walk up to them and offer them some money, most of these people are willing to take it to get out. And then you can, you know, if, if they're really big pieces of crap, you can report it on their credit and, and you know, that's it. You never see them again. Um, but most of the time they're pretty reasonable with that sort of thing. If you, if you offer them the money to get out. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyways, that's, that's kind of the, there's like 30 of them on here, but I'm, we don't have enough recording time for me to go through all that stuff. <laughs> that's, they're, they're really good questions. I think, um, you know, vetting your, vetting your team, we've, we've been through it with the Airbnb piece. Um, but vetting a property manager is really interesting. Yeah. Um, you're, you're right. It's not something you want to, it's like a cleaner with Airbnb. You don't want to cheap out on them. Yeah. It, um, they, they, they're so important on your team that it, it, it's, it's, this is, this is the person that will be your main contact. Cause you're never going to talk to your tenants. There's, you don't want to talk to your tenants. You want that piece of anonymity between you and your tenants so that they are the ones that are getting the angry phone calls and dealing with the, all the issues. And so you, you need to make sure you pick that right person that, that you jive with. Okay. It's super important. I guess that kind of leads into my other question was, do you ever choose to use a realtor in these other states to show you property or find you properties? And how do you choose a realtor? Great question. Yes. 
I use realtors on a regular basis. I like realtors. Um, it's a, it's a love hate relationship sometimes because, uh, I also like off market properties, which don't typically come with realtors. Sometimes it does commercial brokers still work with off market properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, gosh, this is a conversation that could go on for a long time too, but I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Um, I, let's see my 12 unit in, in, uh, hot springs was purchased through a realtor. It was an on market property just listed on the local MLS. It wasn't put on anything like LoopNet, which is a commercial site or Crexy or any of those, it was just listed on the MLS, which was amazing because nobody that was, none of the investors that shopped the commercial sites and commercial is five units and larger. Anything bigger than five units is considered a commercial property. So usually those end up on LoopNet and Crexy and in those, those commercial sites. This was just on the multiple listing. I found it, purchased it through the realtor. It was an awful experience. The realtor had no, the person I picked the only reason I picked him was because they were a realtor and an attorney at the same time. And he kind of, he talked me into using, he's like, look, I'm an attorney. You know, what could possibly go wrong? You know, I'm going to get all the paperwork right. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. This guy had no idea what he was doing. And I ended up essentially leading the entire transaction asking him, okay, did you open escrow or did they open escrow? You know, there was no updates. I guess the most important thing, how do you, is how you pick the right, the right realtor. And that's, that's the right question. Um, when you, when you talk to a realtor, you need to ask them what their experience is working with investors, because we are a pain in the ass to work with. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll say that, right. We ask so many questions and we require so many different pieces of documentation to look at properties like rent rolls and T12s. They got to know what these things are. And if they don't, and you have to explain it to them, that's the wrong realtor. You want to find out how long they've been in the business and how many, you know, you don't need to know like, okay, how many, how many deals have you closed? That, that kind of thing's not as important as just knowing that they have the knowledge of this type of asset because that person should be looking for everything you're not thinking about, not the other way around. Does that make sense? So just look for an investor's agent of some kind who's very familiar with commercial properties and how they work cap rates. Like I already said, the rent roll and the T12. Uh, how to underwrite these deals because they should be helping you with that. And you want to know somebody who knows things about, you know, taxes and insurance in their local markets and how those things are assessed and reassessed whenever reassessment comes up. Okay. Thank you. So I'm going to lean a little bit to my um, previous question. Hit me. Knowing what you know now and when you first bought that first property, What's the kind of difference? What's the what's the rules of thumb that you've that you've adapted or changed? So I have let's say I'm going to a new market and I've I don't have a whole lot of relationships in this new market, but I know I, I love the market and the market is it, it checks all of my boxes and I know that there's a lot of properties there that make sense. Um, the first thing I'm going to do is reach out to a, a real estate broker who can tell me what where are we going here, you know. And, and brokers are not the be all end all of that sort of a question either. You can call, you know, chamber of commerce and uh, any, any type of big movers and shakers in the local community and ask them, okay, well, what, what kind of stuff's coming in here? Is there a new industry coming in? Uh, do you feel like this is a growing market? Even though the data points say that it is, does it feel like that? Or are there rumors that, you know, different manufacturing plants are about to close down? Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to find somebody who knows pretty much as much as can possibly know about that local market. And that's going to be the person that I'm going to look for now, instead of just saying, you know, on, cause when you look at people's bios online, let's say that, you know, you have bigger pockets and you look at, okay, bigger pocket affiliated realtors, that means nothing. If they, 
just paid that fee to get that little that little acronym next to their name. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make any sense. So I want to I want them to prove it that they know what they're doing, so that I have my professional or my expert on that market is the person that's representing me in the transaction. And I didn't used to do that. I used to just look for okay, commercial real estate broker. And whatever came up, that's the first person I called. And that's who I would have write the offer for me if it was on market. Um, that, that's what I would do. And I, I, I do a lot better job of trying to find the right representative now. Awesome. So uh, one of the things that I've actually kind of pivoted to also is if I'm going to a new market and I don't have a realtor relationship is I will call the listing broker of this apartment complex and I'll ask him a million questions. I'll be like, I'll say, I'm an unrepresented real estate investor. I'm interested in buying your property. And I don't have a realtor. And a lot of times dollar signs will pop up in their eyes because now they get to both, you know, you get to double in this commission here and if they can represent both sides. Well, some states and if they, and, and I'm, what's some that? Some states that's legal, some of it isn't. You're exactly right. Oregon, Arkansas, it's totally right. legal. Yeah. Some, some of them, some of them, they won't let you do that. But dual agency in some of these states, they, they'll make a lot of money doing that. And they, they prefer to do that. And, that. and I am perfectly fine with them doing that. The reason is because I, I I know what I'm doing, so I can I can see I can see the the storm clouds on the horizon if there's a problem or if you know something is going to pop up that could be detrimental to me, uh, I can catch that because when you're doing a dual agency, you're typically just a, a middleman. You can't t- you can't really lean one way or the other because now you're violating one agency over the other one. So and that's why it's illegal in some states is because some people can't figure out how to separate it, right? Um, Arkansas is not that way. Uh, I have had agents double end it. And if they'll do that, I use that as a bargaining chip for a lower price. Because now if I put in a low wall offer, that agent will go back because they want to close this deal. Yeah, you know what I mean? They're, they're going to close this deal. They're going to get a bit. Yeah. They're, they're going to go back and be like, well, we haven't gotten the other offers. You know, this is a very qualified buyer. You know, we might be able to make this. Ha- Sorry. I don't mean to make a realtor sound like an idiot. They're not idiots by any means, but, but you know, it, that's just, that's typically the way that it ends up working. So I, I like using listing agents. And then if, if they did a great job, I'll use them as a buyer's agent on future properties too. And you kind of create some, some relationships that way. Trevor, do you have any further questions? And I think I'm going to, I'm going to say we need a follow-up on you found your market. Now let's look at the property. So I think we have a round two, Trevor, if okay, you're game yeah. for it. I can see like a series going with Trevor because I want him to come back on and talk about this collectibles market. And now I've got like, yeah. And that's the other, yeah, one, to I've be got fair. the wide eye thing going excited. here. Cause this is something that I know nothing about. Yeah. yeah. So it'd be a Q and a <laughs> where we turn it around and Trevor gets to answer all the questions. That'd be a good. It's one. pretty fun. Anytime you're interested, Kyle, you can come watch. At, are, do you still have the, the place here in town? Is that still yours? I don't. I, don't, I mean, it just got overhead. It was way too expensive. And how everything is online, you can sell everything out of your house for no overhead, way less employee gotcha. cost. It's way less headache. And you make sense. the same amount of money. <laughs> nice. There you go. So we're going to wrap. This is super unclean finish to the show. We're going to wrap, but we're going to be back with round two of awesome. this conversation. You found your market, you like it, you think you found your realtor. You, yeah, you're indifferent about a realtor, let's be real. Um, and you, <laughs> I'm just kidding. And you found your, your person to ma- help you manage. So what next? How do you look at a deal? How do you look at a property from out of state? Um, Trevor, we're going to be back with you uh, in a week or so. Uh, and, and thanks awesome. for the questions. Well, appreciate it. 
This is like production on the fly. I know, it's good. I'm just letting you, I'm just letting <laughs> you roll. This is awesome. <laughs> Amazing. And hey, if you're if you're listening to this and or watching this, we've started to put them onto YouTube. First of all, thank you for the 5,000 watches on YouTube that we didn't even know we had. Um, please go ahead and like and subscribe if you're on YouTube. If you're listening to us, give us a, a five-star review, please. Um, we we kind of need all the help we can get. And we're going to bring you more content like this. It's so exciting to just kind of have these real conversations and uh, uh, hopefully you've got value out of it. Thank you very much, Trevor. We appreciate you being here and we'll chat again here soon. Oh, thank you very much. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Investories podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories podcast.